0: Beulah Church, I am so excited to be with you. I actually asked for instructions. How much can I wander? How much can I actually move here? Because I get fired up for Jesus. I cannot sit still in my seat when we were worshiping. I was like, oh my goodness, the Lord is in this place. This is such a special place. And the last couple of days, I've been with your uh, church leaders, the the, leader, the team that God has placed here at Beulah to lead. And I got to tell you, they are a gift to this nation. Can we just give it up for your team? They are a gift to this country. And the, I don't say that lightly. look the first time I met Daniel, Pastor Daniel, um, we were we actually sit on an advisory team for the Canadian Church Leaders Network. And of course, as we do in nowadays after the, our meetings were over, we went onto social media and we followed each other because that is the cordial thing to do in nowadays. And as I began to see Pastor Daniel, posting pictures about his barbecue and his smoke machine thing that he got and this brisket that he put in there i was like oh my goodness so i messaged daniel i am going to apologize in advance for all the vegetarians and vegans here i am sorry but literally those pictures you would salivate at just what looking at what daniel was posting And, and so i said I'm gonna invite myself over. I live in Vancouver, you're in Edmonton. Next time my husband and I are over, we are gonna go and meet you and Christina. We are having that barbecue that you just posted on the. And I think that's why he asked me to speak about food. Because I was like, what kind of topic are we preaching about today? I've never had such a request. Maybe it's because of my um, my heritage that I am so obsessed with food. I come from a Middle Eastern background, uh, Lebanese. I don't have to explain to you what Lebanese people are, who Lebanese people are, because you have such a huge community in Edmonton. My family actually lived here for most of my childhood. Uh, And we are all obsessed about food. We are all about food. I mean, we have so much food, and I know we're gonna stick some pictures up as well, that we don't have a space on the table to put your cutlery, because every single part of the table is just full of food. Because I think that book, The Five Love Languages, they missed one. It's called food. It's the sixth one. And in, in Lebanese culture, we will tell you how much we love you by how much food we put on that table. Literally, you can see we are crammed around the table. Food is the star. And maybe it's because of my Latino um, husband and, their, and our family, it was all about like, la barbacoa y los frijoles, y la, and all the things that, la arroz and la salsa, and everything sounds like a big party because it is a big party. And maybe that is where our obsession with food have come from, but literally we are living in a culture that idolizes food. We have Taken pictures i actually pulled out pictures from my own phone how many pictures i have of food that i've made or we've been in a restaurant and we've uh, eaten out and this last week i was out with my husband on a date i saw the platter in front of me and i took a picture of this beautiful dish and the la- the waitress comes up to me and goes would you like me to take a picture dear of you and your husband and we both turned to her and said no We won't take a picture of food. Like there's a thing in our culture where there are shows about food, people eating food. We watch people eat food, making food. There are shows like Chopped and MasterChef. One of my good friends, her husband won MasterChef Canada a few seasons ago. This is a thing in our culture that is very real, very prevalent in our culture today. Uh, there's even something called food pornography, actually, where you take pictures. I know I'm blowing everybody's mind right now. Take pictures of food and post it on social media. And people celebrate this because we eat with our eyes first. Right? This is not just a Lebanese saying. This is a cultural saying across the board. Every culture says this. We eat with our eyes first and we are drawn to seeing beautiful food. There are documentaries. We idolize it so much that there are food, there are songs about it. We literally plan our weekends on what we are going to eat, what we are going to binge eat, what are we going to plan to make. I walked into a store recently here in the neighborhood, just around the corner, and there was a shirt that said, wine before coffee, and another one that said, wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. Like, we put these sayings on our clothing, on cups. This is not something that is foreign to us. And as I started to study this, I was like, well, You know, when I think of comfort foods, whether that is a big bowl of mashed potatoes with gravy, uh, or when I go into, you know, you have a stressful morning and you pull up into the Tim Hortons or into the Starbucks and you ask for the grande americano visto, oat milk, three pumps of cinnamon dulce latte, and for some reason that brings the stress level down. I'm just being very honest. I realized that the comfort foods actually set off neurons in our brains that tell us that we are happy when we have this interaction with food. Uh, One of my uh, interesting stories that I have is my husband and I were at a work event for his work. He was appreciating his team by taking them to a country music concert. Guys, I have never listened to country music. I'm so sorry, Albertans, right now. I don't know anything about country music. I have no idea. My husband knows nothing about country music. And we are sitting here at supposedly one of the most famous country music singers, Luke Combs, is singing in this big stadium. And we are with our team, and these people are loving it. And I could see everyone eating their chicken wings and very, very excited because this song was going to come on. And they all reached for their beer can. I well, don't I don't drink. So I was like, what is this? They all reached for their dream, is beer can. And as the guy was singing, they were all like, in my right hand, I'm a Superman, and I have my beer. And this comfort came upon them by eating their chicken wings and drinking their beer. And I went, oh, my goodness. This is quite something that is in, embedded in our culture, embedded in our songs, embedded in what we're watching, embedded in what we're listening to. But guess what? God cares so much about every area of our life. We know that. He cares about our finances, cares about our work relationships. He cares about our family, our marriage, our sex life. We've been talking about these things and he cares about our relationship with food. If I slow down and I think about why is it such this, like it's like a tug of war, like an ultimate food fight for us to exchange unhealthy habits with God honoring habits. Uh, as we unpack this, I think it's because we, we haven't fully grasped why God created food. And if you want to know more about those food triggers, it's actually somebody who wrote about her. Her name's Amber Leah, and she wrote this book called Food Triggers, which, is, which unpacks that. But I went into scripture, because I'm that kind of nerd. I went into scripture and said, God, what are you saying about food here? What are you saying about, why did you create this? Why is there so much mention about this in, your, in the word, in the scripture? And so pray with me as we unpack something. We're going to go to school right now. I was a high school teacher for a long time. We're going to go to school. We're going to take some notes. We're going to unpack why is this so important to God. So Father, I pray that as we dive in to your word, would you reveal to us would you reveal to us your mysteries? Would you reveal to us how much you care about us as we study your scriptures? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, we've heard this scripture many, many times. It says, don't you yourselves know that you're a temple, you're God's temple, and that the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that's what you are. God cares about this body that we have, it's the temple of God is not just these four walls. And those that are watching online, you know that the spirit of God is meeting you right where you're at because you are God's temple. You are his church. Wherever you walk, wherever you go, you are taking him with you. That's what he says, he wants to dwell in us. So that means we're a caveat. We are his vehicle taking him to this world that is around us. That actually means that we need to take care of these bodies that we live in. Now why are we spending time talking about food? I don't think it's just cuz Daniel wants us to go to Pastor Daniel wants us to go to, you know, CrossFit and Orange Theory and eat greens and exercise. I think there's something deeper than that. That is obviously so good, but it's important to hear that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that this world will know him because we carry his image. We are image bearers. Of this incredible Lord whose name that we just sung is the name above all names, Jesus. And so what would it look like as he unveils this mystery to us today to actually live out a relationship with food where we have authority to talk about it? where we have authority to talk about health. So if we're living healthy, for example, if our finances are in order, we can talk about that with other people because you can talk about it out of a place of authority. And if our health is in order, then we can talk about that out of a place of authority. If we understand why food was created for us, then we'll be able to speak about it out of a place of authority. I have a friend that works with me when we mentor university students. And Colton says, words bring us consciousness. It awakens us, it makes us aware of the things that we need to change. So as we are gonna be talking, I am gonna be talking about these scriptures and we are gonna study through them, this should change our mind, to adapt our mind to the mind of Christ so that we can live intentionally. So our first point is when I looked at food in the Old Testament, it actually embodied evidence of God. Food in the Old Testament is a reference to a blessing or a curse that came directly from God. So if we take it back to Genesis, and if we had a lot of time, I'd go book by book by book, but, you know, we got a few minutes here. So Genesis, get your seatbelts on. Let's go. He created a place to dwell with God, a place where people could just be and enjoy creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, he says, tend the garden, I'm gonna multiply it, you're gonna eat it, you're gonna be fruitful here. So there was a blessing in the garden, and it was multiplied, and his provision was food. It was like, this is where God exists. He provides and he takes care of his creation. But then sin entered. And it was disobedience. Eve wasn't hungry, looking around for, oh, I'm going to eat. Oh, that's what, I'm hungry. So that, it wasn't that it was, she was disobedient to what God had told her. But the first sin was that her appetite pulled her away from God. It led her astray. Like we've all been led astray by our own appetites, our human desire. And her appetite led her away from what God's design was from her. And I began to notice this pattern in the Old Testament of a blessing and then provision and then there was either sin or not sin. And so we look. I looked at Esau, there are so many examples but I'm only gonna give you a few. He received the blessing of the firstborn in Genesis 25. His provision was that he had an inheritance but then he sinned and he traded out his blessing for a bowl of lentils, now this guy was hungry, lentils and bread. His appetite and his desire blinded him from focusing on God. It actually stole his inheritance and replaced his blessing with a curse. This is wild. He didn't understand what, the, what God's design was for his life. When we fast forward to Joseph, the blessing was revealed in a dream. He was to lead. God provided. There was provision. And it took him away from where he was to Egypt. And I want to stop here for a second because there are people in this room that are in this this season that Joseph was in where God is providing a way and it doesn't look like that. And it's painful. Like Joseph, he didn't think that his siblings, like, like he liked it, that his siblings weren't his friend. His siblings sold him. His siblings were the ones that were betrayed him. But there is this season where then he was positioned where God wanted him to be. And some of us are in that season right now. And it doesn't feel good, but God is revamping your trajectory to position you where you're supposed to be. And in Joseph's case, This blessing that he was going to lead, God provided him this place where he was going to lead. He did not sin. His siblings sinned. And they were in famine. And Joseph had plenty. And God restores this relationship and blessing to their family through a search for food. I'm blown mind right now when I was studying I was like what is going on here how many times we look at Elijah Elisha in second Kings there was a blessing God called him this is my, the man of God the prophet he had a gift of healing then god showed up there was provision through food multiple times in chapter 4 it was the oil was multiplied for the widow and then there was a poisonous stew and there's this chaotic scene and very short verses where they're like there's poison in the stew help us everybody's going to die and then elijah takes a handful of flour puts it in the stew and that was a sign of god's miraculous power his majesty, he was with them. They did not sin and they experienced miracle after miracle after miracle of God showing up in a very tangible way. When I rewound and went back to Moses, I found that this was fascinating. There was sweet waters God provided. There was quails. There was manna from heaven. It was bread from heaven that came down. He blessed the people of Israel by saying, I am going to take my people out and promise them a land of milk and honey. Now sometimes when God talks about food in scripture, it's not just a a tangible actual food in front of them, but it was actually figurative language. The land of milk and honey was, I was going to provide you with everything. God's like, you're not going to have to worry about anything. But nobody usually thinks of this as goat milk. Because that's probably what it was and it's like i'm going to just provide you with everything that you need i'm going to take you out of slavery there's the provision but the people sinned they craved the onions and the garlic and they craved the food they wanted to go back to the food they didn't think about oh i'm afraid i was enslaved they're like i'm hungry and i want to go back to that food but because of Moses' faithfulness, God would provide over and over and over again. And we see a scene in Numbers chapter 20, where God tells Moses and Aaron, go to the rock, tap it twice, and I'm going to get, uh, yeah, you tapped it twice the first time, but this time I want you to speak to it, and water is going to come out. And Moses and Aaron go, but they don't speak to it, they tap it twice, water still comes out because God is God and he is holy and he provided But God replies to Moses and Aaron and says, Listen, because you didn't trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, I will not, you will not bring this assembly into the promised land that was given to them. Moses and Aaron didn't get to go to the promised land. This is mind-blowing. See, sometimes the Lord will say, taste and see that the Lord is good. He'll use this food language. And it's not unique to the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament as well, where Jesus' first miracle in John chapter 2 is turning the water into wine. And when he did this miracle, his disciples believed in him. It was a sign. God is with this person. He's performing miracles. And it had to do with food. So how do we then experience God through food. Because our culture has very different extremes. There's like gluttony and overeating and not caring about our our bodies and our health. And then there's the other extreme side of disordered eating or eating disorders. Both are, they're, they're different. But it's also unhealthy because there's such a focus on body image within the culture that we live in. But these two extremes are what we are facing. Whereas in biblical times, what we see presented before us was a time of feasting or a time of fasting. And the time of feasting would cause people to come together and dine and have these festivals. You know how many festivals? You can go back into the book of Numbers and look at festival after festival. Festival of weeks, festival of Pentecost, festival of trumpets, the feast of Jubilee, the feast of tabernacles, which was like their thanksgiving. But every single one would cause them to sit around that table and remember who God was. Remember how he delivered us. Remember how he restored us. Remember how he provided. Remember how he's faithful. Feasts take time to prepare and as the people were there in preparation, they were feasting on the memory of who God was then and in that present moment. And the same thing was with fasting. It's the denying of food to have a focused time on God. It's intentional, a time to remember, a time to pray, a time to enter in deeper into his presence. Just like what Jesus did when he was fasting in the desert. This is, again, incredible that the first thing Satan tried to tempt him with was focused on food. Just like Eve, it's like the stomach has a brain. He's like, the blessing was Jesus was sent as a savior. It's the beginning of his ministry. The provision is that he overcame this temptation when Satan said, turn the stones to bread and Jesus's response was not to sin and he said man does not live off of bread alone but on every word that comes from the truth of God both experiences fasting and feasting they draw the person closer to God closer in relationship with God but in our culture there's this diet called subculture There's this poor body image, a constant waste of food that happens. Yet in their times, in biblical times, it was about famine and fertile land. I think it's really interesting to think about how many times the Bible talks about famine or a land of fertility that draw people in both situations closer to God, whether it was Abraham or Joseph or Ruth and Elisha. Or in the New Testament, miracles about around food, where there is the miracle of the bread and the fish, where in this, in this sense, the blessing was hunger. My dad actually always used to say, I'm so glad you're hungry. I can't imitate my, I have to imitate it with an accent. It's like, because if you're hungry, you have a stomach. Thank God you have a stomach. And I was like, okay, but I'm hungry. (laughs) Here the blessing was hungry, being hungry because then God provided the fish and bread. And the Lord could say, do not sin, but come to me because I'll give you rest. I'll give you a full life. I'll give you a, a, a life that will satisfy your soul like what we were singing earlier. Our culture turns to food as an idol rather than viewing food as a gift from God, as a witness of his power. Because I'm gonna dare to say that this Bible that we believe in, it begins and ends with food. In the beginning in the garden, God provided food for Adam and Eve to tend. He said, go ahead, eat. It's multiplied. You're going to eventually toil the soil, but you're going to eat. This is me providing for you. And if we go all the way to Revelation, there is this deeper understanding that the ultimate heavenly experience is longing to feast with God. In Revelations 2, 7, it says, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life in paradise. That's what we're longing for, church. To eat at the, the feasting table of the Lord. He continues to say, Revelations 22, Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water of life, hungry, thirsty. That's what we're longing for. You think of heaven you're like ah, I'm hungry and thirsty and that's what I'm going to be doing in heaven. That's what we're doing in heaven. Eating hungry, thirsty of the soul. He's going to satisfy that. Then Revelation 19:9 9 says blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. There is a party happening here. I don't know if you've ever gone to a Middle Eastern wedding, but it is amazing. This is beautiful. In the beginning and the end of this story, God wants to dwell with humanity. It's an invitation to come take a seat at the table with me where he sings over you. and He's like, I love you. You are my beloved. You overcome. I invite you to feast with me. This is so beautiful, but we are living in a time past Genesis, before Revelation, in this middle space called Earth here. And so how does this relationship with food actually live out in our lives? And I think we have to go back to how Jesus described himself as the true bread and living water that true bread that satisfies the soul forever. It's not temporal, it's not eternal. He's like, come, if you are thirsty, if you are hungry, come to me. I am going to satisfy you, whoever believes in me. I will have streams of living water flow out from within you. It's so beautiful to think that the father designed a plan to send his son, because all humans went astray, Because our appetites pull us away from God. And yet he's saying, come, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to forgive you. And we have to stop and go, Lord, what is swaying your appetite from God? What is the distraction? What do we need to put to death in a spiritual sense? And stop eating what's spiritually unhealthy for us. Because his son, Jesus, was sent to defeat Satan, sin, and death. Amen? That's right. We can be loud, it's okay. Satan, sin, and death are defeated so that we could have victory and satisfaction in our life. Yet we don't live like that all the time. And so constantly in scripture, when we see Jesus referring to himself as the bread of God in John chapter six, he says, I am the bread of God that has come down from heaven to give life to this world. Some people said, yeah, give me that bread. And some people rejected it. And some people did not, they were offended that he would call himself the true manah from heaven that doesn't spoil and doesn't rot, but would actually satisfy themselves. My, my friend Margaret Feinberg writes this beautiful book called Taste and See, and she says God whispers through the bread over and over again because it's not the first or last time Jesus refers to himself as bread of life. At the Last Supper, he, there's this beautiful scene where he's eating with his friends, And sometimes we've we've created this as a very religious uh, picture, but he was like laying down on the floor with his buddies, hanging out. And they didn't know what was happening. We knew, we know now what was happening at the Last Supper. They didn't, they're having dinner with their friend, having a Passover dinner. And sometimes when we imagine that dinner, we think of it with a big loaf of bread. Because this is our Western context. And that he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. But really, it was this kind of bread. And if you are ever invited to a Middle Eastern table, don't say no. Go. Invite yourself over. And he took the bread, something like this. Would have been more culturally, I think, relevant. And he broke it. And this is what we do, Actually. You take a bread and you kind of break it and you you give it to the person who's beside you. Because it's an intimate experience. It's not weird to do that around our tables. And he took the bread, he gave thanks. How many of us pray for our food before we eat? Well, I'll just leave that there. And broke it and then gave thanks and, and said, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup after supper and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. It's like he he took this and he gave it to his friends. Like I do this with my kids. I take the bread, I break it and I give it to them. And he took this and he would have said, here's for you. I'm your provision. I'm going to provide for you. I I love you. I'm going to give a piece of bread for all of us right now. So just as a symbolism to think about, he's extending himself, saying I am going to satisfy you. I am not going to, ever fail you. I am not ever going to abandon you. I am never ever going to run out. You can come to me with those tears all the time if you need to. I'm always here to listen. You are never alone. Like he was extending himself through that piece of bread saying, I am going to be with you. When you do this, remember me. Remember me. And so I want us to think about this with a clearer perspective of how god created food if words bring us consciousness if words bring us awareness then we can make changes in our lives adapt to the mind of christ take thoughts captive we can live intentionally god created food for our enjoyment and we love food Right? If we went through all the cultures that are here, we would name dishes that we love, dishes that we love to cook, dishes that we miss because our grandma, mama, made it and we didn't have that. And we would just be talking about food for a very long time. But he intended it to be good, to point back to his kindness, to point back to him as provider. And so I want us to reflect on this right now if you're taking notes, or if you're watching online, what is it that you are idolizing around this topic of food? How do you guard your heart and your body? What's your relationship with food? Because every one of us will have a different type of relationship with food. And what if we used food to support our physical and mental health? What if that was the purpose of eating? we'll 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 think we'll slow down a little bit before we make those choices but what if we implemented the practice of fasting what if we reflected on maybe some unhealthy habits that we have or words that we use that in, encourage diet culture i'll never forget having a, a homestay student in my in my home and she was a young a young woman and her mom was on the phone with her and she, and, and she had the phone like this on her legs, and, and I said, what are you doing? And she said, my mom wants to see if I'm fat. And I said, oh, okay, well, let's talk about that. See, the issues that we face in our world has nothing to do with generations. Sometimes we think, oh, those are young people problems. But I know men and women that are in their 60s that still suffer with, just how, are we loving our bodies? Do we actually see ourselves as fearfully and wonderfully made? What if we used food as a tool to cultivate hospitality and reach people for Christ? I love that one of the acronyms that Pastor Drake shared was BLESS. That's part of your DNA here at Beulah. You have EAT. In the acronym, that's incredible. And one of the initiatives that you actually have on the go is to take these cookies and cream cookies and go and share it with your neighbors and love your neighbors through food. Whether you give them this or you bake the cookies and you give it to them or you invite people over to your home. I know it's an interesting season. But what if we used food as a tool to actually feast with people? and that that would be an opportunity to point them to God. And so I wanna pray with us as we reflect on the true bread of life. Jesus, I come before you and I'm just so thankful that you left us your word and that we have access to your word and that we do not live on food alone because our stomachs will be empty again, but our soul longs to be satisfied with the bread of life. With you, Jesus, would you satisfy the cry of our soul? We're looking to fill it with other things. That void is, is so present, but we're looking to the wrong things to fill it with. Each one of us had had different things, different challenges that we face. And so I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us, Holy Spirit, right in this moment, the things that we need to change, the things that we're challenged by in this word that we've just dove into. Would you help us become more of a reflection of you, represent you well on this planet so people would come to know you? Would you let us delight in the true bread and the living water? In Jesus' name, amen.